You're listening to episode 24 of the Massive Attack Podcast. Sorry, I just felt a bit... Overexcited and World War II-ish. World-ish. Yes. <laughs> Take <Sorry>. that, Jerry! <laughs> yes. Podcast episode twenty four. I'm Mitch. That's Joe. Let's get down to it. Boppers. <laughs> All right. Let's start the show in uh, proper fashion and officially say happy birthday, Mitch. Oh, thank you. Big four zero. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bit of a milestone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you feel older? No. Oh, that's good. Thankfully, all, most gifts Superman related, so it sort of helps me stay young by people not embracing my age, which is great. I'll yes. take it. And you I'll had a very it. nice Superman cake too. Very nice. Which my three year old ate. Four slices of, I think. <laughs> it was yes. good. It was good cake. It was good because uh, last time I got cake, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get any cake. Alrighty, well, let's jump into the show as normal. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quite a movie episode, I think. We've got a few movies to discuss. A few. So let's get on to gaming. Yeah. So, so let's get gaming out of the way. Have and you been playing be- anything good? Um, good. Yes, Borderlands 2 has become better. I'm enjoying it still and playing a lot of that. But I not only did I turn 40, I, since the last recording, I had a hernia operation because I'm fucking old now. But um, <laughs> so I, I had a bit of downtime. And in that time, I played Deadpool. Okay. Behind Moon created game, who did the Transformers games. Yep. And it's great to a point. Like, it's nice and short. Just overextends its welcome a little bit. So, I understand a lot of complaints were, you know, this is not a full price game. Well, it should not be a full price game because of its short length and everything like that. It should yep. have been like a downloadable game. I don't know where the limit is, you know, as long as it's good, it's good. I don't really mind. But, yeah, it's probably... S- well, anyone better than me would probably do it in six hours. I probably did in a couple of hours more. But, really good. But, it did just fall into the problems of bad game design I've, I've, I've played plenty of bad games because I buy cheap ones and it's a sort of a beat em up game so you go on you, you fight a bunch of characters and then you'll fight another bunch of characters and then oh here's a harder character so you come on okay you fight that and you find it harder you as the game goes along you get tougher and you fight these and the, these you fight them again and again because bad game design means I'm not going to give you new, unique things to fight all the time I'll just recycle whatever I've okay. made so, the original parts of the game are fantastic. The voiceover work is awesome. The Deadpool character, they've got great. And the fact that he's breaking the fourth wall constantly, he's talking to you. It's all very meta when it brings, to, you know, it's game logic talking to you as a comic character, talking about game and things like that. And it's like, yep. why? Oh, it's one of these levels. He actually yeah. makes a reference to it because it starts off with him saying, I want a game. So, he basically writes a script in crayon, gives it to High Moon <laughs> saying, Let's have a script. And they're going, oh, we got your submission, but we don't think so. And he goes, really? And then he pushes a button and then you hear an explosion through the phone. And it's like, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, 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 we'll make it. It's cool. Okay. So, and there's constantly there and there's a bit where it goes into a, like a 2D top-down Zelda, original Zelda sort of game. For a bit. Cool. And he goes, I love old school 8-bit. So it's really cool as far as comic referential and game referential. It's really good. The only problem is it gets to the end and it's sort of like, okay, you've fought all these baddies before. Let's just make it a little bit harder. You've got to beat four of these guys now. And that's hard. Then, ah, oh, you've just beat four of these guys. Now beat six. And it's just like, I don't want to beat six of you. That's not fun. Yeah. I've, I've beaten plenty of you guys. And all it is, to get to the end, I have to do this. It doesn't add to the game value at all. It just adds to the length. And for being a short game already, I sort of understand why they did it. It's just like, God damn it. But really fun. Like it was, so if you pick it up cheap and you like either gaming or comics, it's worth it for that. 
For someone who's a, a non-Deadpool reader, would they get much out of it? Uh, it's definitely funny. Okay. A lot of, it's a lot of jokes. Yeah. Like, I mean, sporty humour. Yeah. It's not... Because I can't say I'm a big fan of Deadpool. I don't really know enough mm. of... Uh, it's it's fine. You, you you might become a fan because of it. Oh, okay. Because it, it is silly and fun. Okay. Yeah, well, so good. That, that was that. Yeah, well, you mentioned Borderlands, and mm. I've finished my second playthrough in Borderlands and unlocked Ultimate Vault Hunter mode, but I'm not really enjoying Ultimate Vault Hunter mode because, hard. yeah, it's hard and I'm getting killed again. I mentioned on the last show that I cracked and I bought the season pass with all the DLC. I've actually finished the first lot of DLC, the Captain Scarlet's Pirate Booty. And yeah, that was kind of cool. It was, I don't know how long it, it took me, but it was a few sessions that I managed to get through it. And yeah, similar sort of thing, as you said, it's with the adding a big baddie just for the hell of extending it. The way they do it in Borderlands, though, they, they let you finish the story, and then once you finish the story, it unlocks the mission to go and do like a raid boss sort of thing. So that that's the only bit of the DLC I haven't done yet, because that's not really designed to do as on a solo playthrough. It's designed more to you know, get three other people and do a four-player. Okay properly go and tackle the big boss but the story itself was was kind of fun and it was better i think than borderlands one dlc because there was no like collection quests as, as such there was a couple of message in a bottle hidden treasure quests isn't there headhunter stuff annoying? going yeah, on yeah that's that's, that's new as well stuff. yeah but you know what really annoyed me in borderlands one was especially the zombie one it's like go and kill 100%. 200 zombies and collect their brains and then once you take that back it's like all right go and get another 200 and get another 300 sort of thing but there wasn't anything like that, which was good. So, yeah, but as I said, I finished that, and then I've played a little bit with you to try and level your character up a little bit. Well, it's been working. But yeah. yeah, without you, it's sort of, oh, damn it, I'm dying again. So. Exactly. But then I, I thought, I felt like I'd try something different to a, a bit of Borderlands. And the Games for Gold title earlier in the month was actually a cutesy game called A World for Keflings, or A World of Keflings, I think it actually is. And I thought I'd give that a try, being the fact that it was free. And nine hours later, I've actually completed that now as well. So I didn't know it had a completion point. I thought it was just So this just is a... Xbox's Farmville, yeah? Yeah, kind of. It's, it's kind of like a real-time strategy as far as resource building without any of the real fighting in it. Basically, your avatar's a giant in this world and... You create these little characters called Keflings and then you put them to work collecting resources and then you build certain buildings that turn the leaves into material and then you take the material to another building that turns it into like garments and stuff like that and then you mine rocks and you turn those rocks into Sounds carved stone. Awesome. Yeah. I can't uh, wait to get into I know. This. When I first started playing it, I texted you saying, this is the sort of game you would hate. And <laughs> every time I played it, I kept sitting there thinking, yeah, Mitch, I hate this. But it was good because You loved it, was, it obviously. Oh, yeah, I, I did. And it was it was a nice break from Borderlands and it's pretty much non-violent so I could play it in front of the kids even though I have been playing a little bit of Borderlands in front of the kids. And when I say a little bit, I've got to the point now where I can just turn it on and the 2K symbol comes up and my six-year-old will go, are you playing Borderlands? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I've been playing a bit too much Borderlands in front of the kids. But no, it was good. It was a nice break. And the fact that it was free, it was a free nine and a bit hours of entertainment. And it's probably something that I would go back to again. There's DLC for that, isn't there? There is, but the, the DLC is still quite pricey. Okay. Considering it was a free game, I'm not going to go out and spend you know, four or five dollars on DLC that oh, gives me a couple more missions. Bucks. Just a cup of coffee. Although, speaking of spending things on free, mm. another free game that they had, I think it was probably a couple of months ago it came out, was 
It's a third-person action beat-em-up called Ascend Hand of Cult, and I actually downloaded that a little while ago, and I've actually just started playing that now. And that's a free-to-play game where there is in-game purchases to buy extra power-ups and stuff like that, and I've been playing that for a few hours, and then I succumbed to Ah. actually buying some extra soul packs so I could afford a better weapon. What a soul patch? That was soul packs. Well, Basically, a little bit of hair under the under the bottom lip. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like Dobie Gillis. No one will get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But basically, what it is, it's yeah, third person. I don't think they call it isometric. It looks like yeah, God of War and that sort of stuff. You just and same sort of concept. You've got an axe or a sword, and you go around and you you hack people apart, and every time they die, they give you souls, and then you spend those souls to upgrade your weaponry and armory, and or you can go to the store and use real money to buy extra souls and that's that's what i did but i've been playing probably yeah i don't know let's say probably about six or seven hours of that now and i'm quite enjoying it and as i said yeah it was it was free and then i jumped and bought some other stuff but it's good yeah other than that mitch you said you've been playing some bad game i need to break from borderlands because i realized i have a bad problem with borderlands a while ago of having anxiety dreams and I was having them again, so I got I got I got to play something different before bed. So let's grab something new. So I just went and looked at my pile of shame and I said, "Oh yeah." And I picked up Battlefield Two Modern Combat not long ago. It was like four bucks and I'd lost the case, lost the cover, so it was handwritten cover. And I was like, "Oh, four bucks, that's fine." Yeah, good. A good war game should be pretty good. And Battlefields are meant to be good. Yeah, apparently not this one. Well, I don't know what the reports aren't. That I didn't look at reviews or anything, but I started playing it for a while. And pretty much died in the first 30 seconds okay. of the game. And, I mean, it's got a funky thing where if you die, you just warp into another guy on the board, basically. That's kind of cool. So you don't... Re- After a while, because I died that many times, you were respawning because yep. there were less... There was no more people on the board. But just it was all wrong. It's from 2006, so it's like pretty much a launch title on the 360. Yep. And it looked like it. it. It looked terrible. And it played terrible only because they seem to have got controls down pat now. Yeah. Like you get a, most games, they just seem to work. Left trigger is sighting. So you're, you know, iron sights or whatever. Yeah. Right triggers, A is jump. All these sort of things just seem to work. Some games are a little bit different, but it's all sort of intuitive. This was just did not make any sense and it just did not feel right. And I lasted probably an hour and I was like, this just isn't fun. Okay. So, you know, four bucks, like I said, it's a coffee. Like, I don't need to finish this game. It doesn't matter. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I've got other things to do. I'm just going to hate gaming if I keep going with this, I think. Gave up on that. But something I picked up on sale digitally, like a downloadable one, was uh, was it Magic Dark Messiah. Oh, yeah. Which, again, it looks pretty boxy compared to, like, we just saw Good Game Tonight and they were reviewing next-gen or current-gen now gaming and looking at Rise for the Xbox One. It just looks amazing. Well, this doesn't look like that. This is almost Minecrafty in comparison oh, okay. now. But it's a first person, oh, it's a dungeon crawler or something. It's an adventure game. Yep. So you can be an archer, a, a warrior, a assassin, or a magic user, yep. or whatever. And I, I chose the archer because I like ranged weapons. I'll, give me a choice to be a sniper, I'll take it. Yep. But you can pick up any weapon anyway, so it doesn't okay. really matter. I can cast spells as well. I'm surprised. Yeah, you're not a fantasy person. It was cheap, but it was fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's kind of boxy, but it's like I'm enjoying and going through the adventure. I hope it's short. It's meant okay. to be like twelve hours, so it's like I'm probably four into it now. But that's my four, not normal yeah. people's four. So I've probably still got another twelve to go. Okay. But it's it's fun enough. It's puzzles. It's you know I play things on easy mode, so you just yeah. kill things easy. But yeah, that that's been my playing. Yeah. So yeah, fuck you, Battlefield Two. 
Oh, Battlefield Bad Company was meant to be. Great. That's meant to be great. That's I think modern. that was. That's I modern. think that was the turning point for Battlefield. That wasn't it. I think so. Yeah, well, that's a shame. But then you did play the original Call of Duties and yeah, Call of Duty Two, but that was around the same time as Battlefield, weren't they? They don't look. But the they were. They were a lot better back in the day. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah, that that's pretty much my gaming. I did have a little bit of a dabble on Diablo Three. Yeah. Because a friend of mine had bought it, and he was like, "Do you want to come over and check it out?" And I thought, "Yeah, I'm kind of keen. I might go." And we played for about three hours solid. And afterwards, I was like, "Yes, I'm convinced. I need to go and buy this game." But then Xbox are having a Black Friday sale at the moment, so if, if I pull my finger out and get my editing done, this will come out before the end of the sale, which I think runs from the 26th until the 2nd of December. Mm. So hopefully, I'll get this out in time. And I managed to pick up Skyrim for fifteen dollars. So this on might actually account, yeah. on my American account. How's this for crap? <laughs> the inequities of Xbox. I the couldn't. Text. Yeah. Well, I couldn't get in. They had the tab on the front menu, and I clicked it, and it gave me an error, and it was like, yeah, this this is unavailable at this time. And I was like, well, why advertise it on the first page if you can't click it? So I thought, all right, I'll jump into my American profile just to see what is on sale. And they had Skyrim there for $15. Actually, I think it was fourteen ninety nine American. And I thought, well, the exchange rate's not too bad at the moment. Let's give this a go. And a lot of the times, if you try and buy games in the US, the arcade ones will work. But it comes up saying, this game's not available in your region. So mm. I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And it worked. So I've now downloaded Skyrim. And then today I was on the Xbox and I managed to get into the Australian click as well. And... It's like twenty four ninety nine in in Australia, and I was like, "Well, I'm glad I bought it on my American mm. one." But it's one of those things that everyone talks about. It probably was it two years ago that Skyrim came out, or a year yeah, ago. Yeah, it'll be two. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was right about the same time that we were starting up the podcast that people were talking about Skyrim, and I thought, well, it ticks a lot of the boxes of games that I like. I should jump at it, and the fact that it's now fifteen dollars, it's. I mean, for hard value for fast. money, you're going to get hours and hours yes. out of that. So, so I get Skyrim and Dragon Age confused. They're similar. similar sort of game, but Skyrim is Bethesda, the same people that did all the Elder Scrolls games, because this is actually Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. So they did um, Morrowind, which you probably had no interest in because it was a fantasy game. Bethesda also did Fallout. Yes. So okay. it, that's their side of things. Mm. And Dragon Age is from Bioware. So who, Mass Effect, Mass Effect. Yeah. But yeah, so everyone raved about Skyrim... I've heard that it's about a 200-hour game. So this might be the last time you hear me talk. I might get stuck into it, so who knows. But yes. Well, that's gaming. Gaming. We will now jump straight into movies because both of us have got quite a few movies to discuss. And then we've got our our topic, which is movie-based this month as well. So let's see, Mitch, have you been to the cinema this month? Guess where I've been. Hmm. Would it be the Aster? It would be the Aster. And what have you seen? And I saw Taxi Driver for the second time. I've only seen it once before, and I don't really remember it because there was a period when I was I really needed to see these classic films. Yeah. And I was starting work at six in the morning, but not going to bed at like for someone (laughs) who goes six in the morning. And I'd go to the video library. I'd go to work at six, finish at two, come home and watch movies and fall asleep halfway through. So a lot of films. These classic movies that I made an effort to see, I don't really remember terribly well. So Taxi Driver is one of them. So I went and saw it, and I really dug it. But I've got a real thing for seventies films now because they just feel real. Because it's it's New York in the seventies. It's real. It's not a set. It's not nothing. Yep. You just point a camera down, and it's just interesting because it's it's dirty. It's seedy. It's, it, everything about it is just kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you're watching it, but you're not actually there. But I mean, I'd love Time Machine to go back and 
to the yeah. walk through it all. Um, it's been quite a while since I've seen Taxi Driver. I remember I saw it probably early 90s. Mm. And it was another one of those things that I mainly watched because the D-Gen were talking about yes. it quite a bit where they would do... Was it Tony Martin to do yes. his, his Robert De Niro impression? And I thought, you know, everyone talks about Taxi Driver. I should really make the effort to see it. And I remember at the time thinking just how gritty realism it was. I really dug it for what it was. I mean, you can see why it's influential and important now. I mean, it's just a strange sort of movie and hard to think Scorsese's gone on to make things like Hugo and that yeah. now. But no, nah, that was that was funky. It's good to see that again. I'm another excursion to IMAX to see Gravity in 3D and that, that was an amazing Now, I, I haven't seen Gravity. My wife went and saw it with, a, with my mother-in-law and they both really loved it. I, I just like the experience because I did see it at IMAX. I saw it on the biggest screen possible in the blackest room with the best sound yep. looking at the 3D. And it was amazing, just because of... The, it's the same director of Children of Men, who is famous for them. I mean, if you've seen that movie, there's two single-shot scenes in it. You know, this guy loves to design a scene. Okay. You know, not jump cuts. Yeah. It's all, all right, how can I do this one scene? So post-production on this thing was over a year to put it together. So okay. how he made it, I don't know. And I was talking to a friend the other day about it, and he goes, he doesn't want to know. He, he loved it that much. He doesn't want to know how they made it because they would just ruin, ruin it. But I don't need to see the movie again. Like, I was like, oh, wow. And it'd be great if I could go to the IMAX again and see it. Fine. For the experience. But I don't want to see it on my television. Like, it's too small with too many. Like, because it's set in space, so it's mostly black. So you want the blackest room possible with the biggest screen and you're almost in it. Okay. And because of the 3D, it, it's got depth and everything. Yeah. But, so watching it at home with bookshelves next to the television or whatever, it just... <laughs> wouldn't have that same experience so if you ha- if you can't do IMAX which is fine but at a cinema definitely worth seeing and the 3D is great it's not a, it's not a gimmick and the like things coming at you it's it's all about the depth okay. really really solidly made and well done I've heard it's really well acted but I heard the script writing's a bit of a letdown uh, oh it's fine like it's and Sandra Bullock can act yeah. it's fine and she, when she's carrying it most of the film on her own oh okay so yeah I mean, she's it's, it's cool. And the script itself, it is what it is. Best thing about it, it's 90 minutes long. Yeah, it's short, isn't it? Yeah, don't overdo it. Hmm. You know, if it's already doesn't take two hours, don't make it two hours. Do what okay. it takes. So, yeah, I recommend that. Did you see Moon when that was out? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Cause something everyone, I, everyone says there's a lot of comparisons to Moon. Okay. Well, that's a one-person yeah. acting thing. That with could voices. be what it is. Maybe. And it's in space. Yeah. But well, yeah, I, I haven't seen that. I've actually managed to make it to the cinema, uh-huh. which is quite an odd thing for me at the moment but mm-hmm. and i know you have as well we've both seen thor 2 thor 2 and what do they call it the dark world or yes so what's the tagline yeah the dark world yeah i think you enjoyed it a bit more than i did i did i thought that it dragged a little bit i, I, I don't know i'm i in the first thor when the original thor came out at that stage it was probably my favorite superhero movie and then even more than condor man with yeah, michael, but michael crawford. crawford was pretty good so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I saw Condor Man as a school trip, so that, yeah, I remember that from, from my youth. But and he had a pretty smart car, didn't he? Didn't he have the, the Condor car or something? He did. From some others do have him to Condor Man, and then he was a, an opera career or something, wasn't it? Phantom of the Opera. For, yeah, mm. Phantom of the Opera, that's it. Well, that's our Michael Crawford tangent, so back to <laughs> Thor. But I found the first Thor was, because it was Kenneth Branagh directed, it was very Shakespearean. Mm. whereas this one didn't have that feeling for me. And I felt that there was probably a big chunk where not enough was happening for me to, to really keep my interest in it. I didn't find that. I, I really enjoyed it. thought it was fun. That's what I liked about the first Thor. Because like, yep. I'm a big comic fan, but Thor was a character I never gave a shit about. 
Like in my 20 years of collecting comics, I bought two Thor comics yep. before the movie. That was it. Okay. I liked the fact that he existed. Like in my Avengers and stuff, he was there, but I never cared about Thor. I saw the movie and loved it. So it's like with Man of Steel, I was, I've too much invested. And when it's not the Superman for me, I yep. don't really want to get into it. Where Thor, I didn't care. It's like, oh, they made a really entertaining film. I was really happy. And the fish out of water was so much fun. I All those elements. Yeah, I think that's what really Kat lacks Denning, from the second one, though. This problem with the second one, there are problems with it. Like, I really enjoyed it, and I'll see it again, no problem. Cat yep. um, Denning was so popular in the first one, I think, that they gave her gags. Nothing but gags. Yeah. And it was a little too much. It's like, okay, what's she going to say that's funny now? Because, and I've heard a lot of other people say that everyone's funny now. So she's sort of, they don't, need her to be funny because everyone else has actually got funny stuff to say even Skarsgård who's awesome running around naked yep. but that's funny everything he's doing is funny he's crazy weird and funny Yeah, Loki is awesome again yeah Loki was by far the best thing in the movie and you didn't have that fish out of water fun but it was still cool and funky but the thing that I found especially with the climax I'm not spoiling or anything but to me it felt like Doctor Who yep. the plot and just how it played out with a bit more punching which Doctor Who really doesn't have like he's hitting stuff with hammers but it was very sciencey sort of not deus ex machina but a bit oh well this is how the science is going to work crazy weird science but that's the plot and he's running around in it almost like a companion would be involved all the science people like the doctor which is Skarsgård yeah. is setting up this yeah, you know the it, science and machinations exactly he's running around hitting shit with hammers while all this science is going on and it was which is very of, Doctor Who it was kind of like that Thor wouldn't have been able to go in there and hit his shit with the hammers if they hadn't, they hadn't set done it up that. with the science yeah, yeah. I, I can see so, where you're coming from and, and it didn't help that there was a previous Doctor Who as the villain in there so it was and it was set in England so all these things were just like it just feels like a Doctor Who's plot but it was fine you'd never pick Christopher Eccleston with all the makeup well I did because I knew it was like I knew it was him so I couldn't help but see him there but But I I thought it was funky yeah I enjoyed it it. as I said I, I think that I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one but then there was bits I kind of enjoyed more, but as a whole, I didn't enjoy it. I, I don't know. I, I think in the first one, as you said, there's the whole fish out of water and then he brings the rest of his crew down to help him at the end, whereas his crew didn't really do a hell of a lot. Yeah, they other pissed than, one off. They pissed the Asian off early. It's like, yeah. yeah, you stay here with your people. We don't want you hanging around with us anymore. Yeah, it was more that they were just there to kind of help him bust Loki out and stuff. But I don't know. But yeah, I thought Loki was good. I thought there was a few nice little lines in it. Kat Denning really didn't do a lot. She it was just too much humour. Like, I like her yeah. and everything, but it was just like, just turn it down a little. And it's yeah. not her fault. She's been given the script. But Yeah. It's funny. I was listening to, I think it was iFanboy's review of it, and they were talking about how they find it weird now, post-Avengers, that the, you know, the bad shit that happens in Thor, he doesn't bring his mates in to help it, because you know, now he's part of the Avengers, but it would have made sense to you know this big catastrophic catastrophic events I mean it's not really spoiling here but the big events that happen they sort of come to Earth because most of it happened on Asgard yeah and then it's like it's going to happen on Earth now quick let's go and he sort of turns up and starts hitting things with his hammer he doesn't really have time to make a phone call so it's not like they're all sitting there waiting for it to happen yeah I don't know but then I do like the fact that they are keeping them separate Mm. like there was a few little there's a cameo which is really nice yeah, that was kind of cool. But then we saw the ad for Captain America Winter Soldier before we saw Thor as well. And mm-hmm. it's now Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans in Captain America. It's kind of weird. And Robert Redford? Yeah. So, yes. Who would have been an awesome Captain America if they had made the movie in the 70s? Exactly. So, it's yeah. funny that when I saw it, there wasn't much of a pop in the cinema for the Captain America ad. Like, I was quite impressed I with it. I popped when he called the shield. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, there was a few people that kind of you could hear a little murmur in the cinema. And, yeah, there wasn't much... 
hype for it. But then it's weird. I saw Thor on a Saturday night. It had only been opened in, in Melbourne for, I think it was the second Saturday since it opened. And we went to like an 8.30 showing and there was probably only a dozen people in the cinema. Crazy. It's like, how is the cinema going to survive? And Northlands, they've started selling pizza at the cinema now too, but I'm not sure if that's I, helping either. I don't know. I saw nachos for sale. That's just wrong. Yeah, hot food in the cinema doesn't no. seem to go. Like, it's bad enough having your greasy popcorn fingers on the material seats, let alone having pizza. Yes, yeah, wrong. It is wrong. Have you had any other cinema going? Uh, no. No, but we've no, watched... Just at my list here. No. no, we've we've watched a fair bit of stuff at home. Speaking of movies based on comics, I actually saw Red 2. Yes, and I haven't. Um, have, you've seen Red? Yes. Yes. It's pretty much more of the same. A bit more John Malkovich being crazy, sort of... It's a bit like that Kat Dennings factor. It's like, oh, really popular on the first one. Let's do more of the bits that people like, is it? Exactly. Yeah. They really play up to his conspiracy theory stuff. Mm. But it's well acted. they got more actors in this time, don't they? Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is in it. So there's your, your crossover to Thor. He was in it. So he was, he was good. There was... Um, I can't remember who the big baddie is, but he was, he was pretty good. Someone I'd seen in something else, but I can't remember it. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it. Speaking of Welsh people, it, it was a good ensemble cast. There was country woman. <laughs> there was bits of it that were you know nice set pieces and stuff. There was a quite a good car chase. So yeah, does again, Bruce Willis even try. He kind of does. Mm. It's not like you know the latest Die Hard movie where he's just phoning it in. He actually looks like he was having fun. And there's a good sort of repartee between him and you know his love interest character over jealousy over Catherine Zeta-Jones and just the play with John Malkovich's character works well. Cool. So yeah, I'd say check that out if you can. I did actually watch something on video when I was sick. You did? I watched The Hunger Games, the first one. Oh, okay. Because when I saw Gravity, there was a trailer for... Catching Fire. Catching Fire. I was like, I really should see that. That kind of looks interesting. And I really dug... I dug The Hunger Games. Like, I wasn't sure what to expect. I've heard so much good things by a lot of people. So I thought, it's not going to be bad. And it was a lot better than I thought it would. Like, it's not a kid film. Like, it's a teen film. Yeah. But it's quite a mature one. And a lot more violent than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, that's what got me with it when when I watched it last year. And it was weird because I thought, oh, we'll get this because I think my wife will like it. And she started watching it and I was sort of mucking around on the iPad and doing other stuff. But I found probably within about 10, 15 minutes in, I was hooked. And I was like, oh, I think this movie's going to be all right. So, oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it felt, like I said, I love my 70s movies. Because there's something about 70s films where they're real. There's no special effects. They're sort of, a lot of it's practical and it's got this dirty look to it or it's yeah. a darker look and it's a darker feel and this had that feel like a rollerball sort of very rollerball actually it's the whole keep the people oppressed giving them a distraction and they can't yep. have a champion they can't have a hero we need to keep them down and it's very much that but it just had that nice feel to it like children of men and that dirty darky darky feel dark feel <laughs> dark world dark, yeah. <laughs> probably go to try and check out catching fire now in the cinemas because I enjoyed it enough. Yeah, well, I think it opens this week in I Melbourne. I think it's out, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm keen to see that. And my wife's actually read the, the, the books and she said that Catching Fire is probably the best of the books. So hopefully okay. that will be the good movie. Cool. Well, speaking of my wife, she was reading something on the internet about Danny Glover the other day and we were talking about Danny Glover and what movies he'd done. And she felt like digging up the Lethal Weapon movies. Mm-hmm. So we've had a bit of a, a Lethal Weapon festival this month. Aren't you getting too old for that shit? <laughs> See what I did? <laughs> yeah. uh, Sorry. So yeah, we've watched Lethal Weapon 1, 2 and 3 earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, they actually hold up really well. Especially the Butt in the Moonlight wall. There is a bit too much of the <laughs> Butt in the Moonlight. I, I, I don't know. It's like Mel Gibson was obviously quite a big star at that stage. 
I think that's what made him the big star, actually, the first Lethal Weapon. Probably. I think it was the breakout role for America. Like, he'd been in things, but I think that was his biggest stardom. But watching it, it's like, it's such a shame he went off the rails, because he was a really good actor. He still is a good actor, and a good director. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's a terrible human being. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But yes, I think the other thing that really makes them hold up is the fact that they're really well written. Which is Shane Black. Shane Black, exactly. Yeah. Because you know, Shane Black knows how to write a good story. And said it at Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because Lethal Weapon 1, when we first watching it, and the Christmas carols are on at the start, I was like, I don't remember this being a Christmas movie. And my wife's like, it's not a Christmas movie, it's just set at Christmas. <laughs> no, it's like, Christmas. no, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> like Die Hard. Yeah, Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> but then Gremlins is definitely a Christmas movie because they have that whole Santa Claus get in the chimney yes. angle. <laughs> it still gets me when I think about Gremlins. But anyway. <laughs> Well, that was that was our movies. Mm-hmm. Should we jump into our well, topic of movies? Our other movies. Now, there's some movies we've watched under not under duress. We chose to watch this now, sort of like a celebration of my fortieth. We go back to some old movies that have have um, created us. Like these are the movies we nostalgia. And other th- we've done it sort of before, but these are sort of more coming of age sort of films. So yeah. not just your adventure films like Never Ending Story or things like that. This is yeah. More- well, so the last time we did it, we kind of did movies we watched when we were younger, mm. and now this is our later teens movies. So we chose four that was sort of iconic to us. Although, and only to find that the first one we watched, neither of us actually seen. No. So the, the first movie we picked was 16 Candles, mainly based on when you were talking last month that you went to the set of oh, Universal yes. Studios and it was like the staircase and actually, 16 Candles. And it wasn't a sec. And I think, actually it could be, but it, I think it was, I was thinking of Pretty in Pink. So was I. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first started watching 16 Candles and Molly Ringwald's there with her father, I'm like, You're hang on. Yeah, dad. isn't Harry Dean's dad meant to be her dad? And then I realised that, you know, it was 16 Candles, not Pretty in Pink. And Pretty in Pink was the movie that I really wanted to watch. But yeah. now we've watched 16 Candles, so we've turned it into a little bit of a cult movie challenge as yes. well as uh, do they still hold up like I only watched it last night and you watched it before and you said it's got boobs in it and when I saw them I was still shocked to see the fact that they were in there a fantastic set of boobs and they even make <laughs> reference to it as a fantastic set but it was like what the hell is that doing in this film it's it's a weird film isn't it it's John Hughes so Breakfast Club Ferris Bill's Day Off Pretty in Pink Home Alone Home Alone Uncle Billy Buck. Sue <laughs> We should, we should really do a John Hughes show, shouldn't we? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of his earlier films. Though, yeah, and that's what I find, because, I mean, I've seen 16 Candles. I know if I've seen it. I'm not, sorry, this is why I'm getting confused. Pretty in Pink a few times. Yeah. Because I've got an old sister, that's why. I don't know how I never saw 16 Candles, though, and I've seen Breakfast Club plenty of times. So he obviously matured as a filmmaker. Yep. and a writer because this is quite slapsticky yeah like literally sound effects like boing when the boobs <laughs> were on screen there was a boing sound effect yeah and there was there was an Asian character in there and it's it had what's his name Long Duck Dong Long Duck Dong yeah and every time he was on screen they did the dong 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 music yeah. every time and it was like okay and just when people fell over there was broken glass sound effects it was very yeah, it was farcical strange, in that way and a lot more simpler in plot than his subsequent films. Yeah. But still fun. I mean, the career, I mean, Molly Ringwald, there was a reason she was popular at the time. She, she played that every girl really well and confidently. Yeah. Like more mature than an actual 16 year old girl, I think actually is, but that plays in the fantasy of any girl watching that movie. Yeah, exactly. That's how emotionally they think 
yeah. is this person. It's actually written by a middle-aged white man, but that's fine. That, it yeah. seemed to tap into it because I remember my sister loving it. I've got friends who love this movie, so obviously it spoke to them at that age. Yeah. Being with them. It's funny watching it now, though, and looking at modern sensibilities and political correctness. There is nothing about this movie that you would see in a movie now. Which there's like, I kind of miss this swearing. With this parents swearing, like parents are away and it's like, oh shit, did they do that? And they're just saying, oh shit. It's sort of like, well, yeah, it's not aggressive. It's not anything. It's just matter of factly speaking, and they can just say it. Yeah. But nowadays, you wouldn't get that. You, you get a, the equivalent movie you get would be so Disneyfied that it would either be so kitty and young, it's PG, yeah, or it'd go hardcore and be a you know super bad sort of R rating, yeah, or whatever. There's no in between movies anymore where you get the odd swearing and the odd you know sensitive subject, but just leave it middle of the road that you can actually show it to a twelve year old and it's fine. Yeah, you know, there's nothing in it except maybe the boobs and maybe you're just feeling old now and don't expect it. But back then, every film had boobs in it. But it was just sort of like, oh yeah, okay, we can just relax, people. We can we can deal with this. Yeah. I dealt with it, okay. I think. Maybe. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, I probably enjoyed I, it more it than fun. I thought I was going to. Yeah, well, I, I think I probably would enjoy it more than 16. The, <laughs> fucking Jesus! <laughs> I probably enjoy it more than Pretty in Pink, because Pretty yep. in Pink's quite down. Yeah, we, not downer, but it's heavy. Yeah. Not he- not heavy like fucking Monster or something <laughs> like that. But it, it, it's heavier, where this is light. Yeah. Yeah, well, really, it is. A girl turns 16, her parents forget her birthday. Some dude. Some dude likes Takes her, her panties. And, yeah. Sells money to... Anthony Michael Hall was just a classic, wasn't he? He was actually quite good. When I first saw him in the stands, I was like, oh, this is annoying. But it's like, yeah, your performance is actually very good. Yeah. And you can see why he went on to be in pretty much every other John Hughes film. Yeah. That Does it hold up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> in comparison, I can't tell you, but I was impressed by it. It was fun. Yes. Well, going chronologically. Yes. And the next movie on our list was... 1985's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yes, which, which again, I have seen a lot. And they said, I blame my older sister again, but I can't blame her for me liking it so much, but <laughs> I can blame her for introducing it to me at such an early age. Now, I remember that I saw this probably not back in 85, but I did see it when I was in my later teens. And there were certain bits of the movie that stuck out to me that I remember, like Jonathan Silverman doing The Calling Tokyo. That, that was something I just remember the most about the movie. The thing is, I mean, out of it, if you'd watched this in 1985, and you say, who's going to be a breakout star out of this movie? Yeah. Now, I would have thought, probably the guy. He could dance, he was good looking. No, everyone else has gone on to have a career except him, Yeah. from what I can gather. But the star is Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. He gets around in Rundies a lot. She does, doesn't she? And looks damn fine in them too. But it's <laughs> like, high cut undies. It's like, this is a kid's, again, the odd shit word in there, you know, and stuff like that. And she's getting around her underpants. It's like, sweet. But there weird. There no nudity though, was there? No, no, no nudity. No, of course not. There was just a, a strange scene in the bath that she may or may not have been doing something she shouldn't have been oh, doing. Just the way her legs were positioned in the sides. <laughs> I question that she might have been masturbating, but that's probably telling a lot more about me than about the director. But yep. anyway, do we do the plot? Let's I do think plot. we do the plot. All right. It's worth a plot synopsis. Okay, so Sarah Jessica Parker is, it starts off with her talking to a class. She's in this Catholic school uniform and she's explaining that she's traveled. Her dad's in the army and she's traveled the world a lot. But what she really loves to do is dance. Yeah. And then she makes friends with Helen Hunt, who what she 
30 going on 16 in this film. And she was 22 when she 22, made it. okay. And she's the cool girl with crazy stuff in her hair. like A reversible school uniform that turns into like a punk cool. jacket and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and basically talking about dancing. And the thing is, moving. she just moved to Chicago, which is where they filmed Dance TV, which looks like the worst television show ever. <laughs> because it's literally a show with dancers on it. So it's probably like Solid Gold was back in the day. I where... think it is pretty much Solid Gold. They play the latest music songs and show their couples dancing to it. And then her and Helen Hunt go off to the babysitting job that she goes to and they've got a 51-inch television so it's going to be huge to watch on. Uh, it is 995. And they're saying that they need two spots, two new dancers on Dance TV. So we've got to audition. So it's all about them auditioning. So... Then you get this other plot going where you've got a guy who's a bit of a dancer and the one I said was going to be a star who did nothing. His best mate, who's Jonathan Silverman, and his little sister, who's Shannon Doherty. I don't understand how he and Jonathan Silverman can be friends. They are so different. He's a douche. Like, like, well, we'll get to the douches later on. (laughs) But... Yeah, I could, I could see your point. He's actually not likable. He, he just ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> so they all go to this audition, everyone, and you get a dance montage of people dancing. And they get culled, and these two people get put together. Put together as a couple, and they have to dance off on the show in a couple of weeks' time to see who gets the job. And we get introduced to the villain of the piece. Yes. A rich bitch in her Mercedes or whatever it is. Who just buys everything. She's a Veruca Salt of, of girls just want to have fun. As in the character from Willy Wonka, not yes, the band from the, the 90s. Not the band, no. <laughs> so we get introduced to that. So all the plays are in motion now. So she's got this overprotective dad in the army who doesn't want to dance. He's got to study for SATs. He's somebody, isn't he? He's been in plenty of things. You yeah. would have seen him in stuff. Anyway. So you've got him and then you've got the guy who's from the, you know, dad's a factory worker, steel worker or something like that, you know. Doing it tough, no mum, but they love each other. You know, there's nothing there, and he's and he's supporting him. He wants him to go and dance. He's got no problem with that. But you know, the the overprotective, you know, our military dad doesn't want her to dance. So it goes through the motions, and then they start rehearsing and they start to fall in love. I think you get a bit of a tease that they're they're yep. falling for each other, but then the rich bitch fucks with them a little bit, and then it finds out she invites them to her coming out. Pro- what is what? Are, what was it? Her yeah, sweet she sixteen. Could, it was she a sweet sixteen. It her coming out party. But it was her sweet sixteen. And, and the then they, club. yes. Oh, because of course he's got a silver-haired fox father who member of the country club, and they find out that she's she's having a party. So they xerox xerox the invitations and give them to everyone at the mall in a montage. Yeah, is that the girls just want to have fun? Not sung by Cindy Lauper montage. Yeah, on, on a little side note here, <laughs> obviously the movie is named "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" after Cindy Lauper's big hit "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Yeah, so they haven't bothered to get the rights to the Cindy Lauper version of "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." They've just got a shitty cover version. And reading the trivia on the Wikipedia, Cindy Lauper's actually got a very small cameo in the movie as like a patron at the diner at one stage where. I think it's later on where his dad's watching them on telly and they're in a diner mm. and she's like in the background. Bizarre. And it's like, okay, she's, she's in the there. Movie. Why it's called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You've got the song. Just pay. So anyway, so there's a montage of them going around a mall, giving out flight and everyone seems so excited about getting it. Yeah. There's all these like, you know, gutter punks and stuff getting these invitations going, oh wow, we finally get to go to a country club. So that's cool. That's just the tone. And then you, you've got a very stuffy upper class. 16th birthday party at the country club and she's walking around being an absolute princess. Yep. Next thing you know, music comes from nowhere 
and someone jumps through the window and does like a cartwheel and he's a punk naturally and then everyone else storms in and starts a food fight and dances and crazy and it's bizarre it's it's ridiculously (laughs) over the top but it's like it's so 80s and it works (laughs) yeah they get this victory over the the richie bitch and then she starts fucking with the guy sort of threatening him because it turns out her dad owns the mill that the dad works in yeah. And he threatens his job, so he's, like, going to throw the competition. So let's just go back a second and say, the movie's set in Chicago, which is one of North America's biggest cities, yet the rich man <laughs> owns the factory where the other guy's dad works. It's not like they live in some little backwoods town, and there's only one factory. It's Chicago here. Well, he owns a lot of factories. He does. Mm. All of Chicago. <laughs> pretty much. It's got the Sausage King of yes. Chicago. Abe Froman. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> needless to say, they sort it out, and the dad sort of finds out about this because Shannon Doherty, she's the smartest one in this movie. She's there going, oh, he won't do it anymore because of this. And he sort of dad has a word for him. He goes, I'll get another fucking job. Go for it. Dance, motherfucker. (laughs) So the dad's awesome in this. He's really cool. In the end, they dance. It's a dance-off and you you know it happens. But I really dug this movie, but I've watched it a lot. So it's sort of like it's not grown old to me because it's grown old with With me. So I know exactly what to expect with it. I, I actually did enjoy it. I thought it was quite good. It's terrible, but it's it's fun. It, it was fun, but I I can see now where your love of like the dance competition movies like Step Up and stuff like that comes from because you've grown with this movie because it's just so ridiculous. It is. It just any of those movies where it's like no, this is important to you, whether it's building models, dancing, whatever. It it becomes the central thing to a movie, and it's like, well, that's fun. So if you're listening and you have types of movies like this let me know what your favorite ones are because adam sandler sort of took it to a level where i hate them yeah where he gets that challenge like he did it for a while like he did it with billy Billy madison's the first one where he goes to school yeah yeah so he goes through the process and at the end he has the challenge like rodney dangerfield did with back to school he had to do it as he did it first even on big daddy he sort of had to do a test at the end he sort of had a formula for a while i was like come on he stopped doing that now but it sort of got to a point, even Happy Gilmore. He's got the yeah, the tournaments at the end. Exactly. Which was done in Caddyshack first. But anyway. Well, it could be that Adam Sandler is sort of our age group and maybe he actually grew up he grew watching up these movies. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, so girls just want to have fun. I did. Not yeah. just girls. <laughs> Mitch wants to have Mitch fun. Mitch just want to have fun. I think we've got our episode title. <laughs> okay. After girls just want to have fun. And the One year later. Movie, the first movie we actually watched together of this list. Yes. And full disclosure again, I realised that I've never actually sat through all of this movie. But you've you've watched YouTube and yes. YouTube was made for this movie. Exactly. Because there's one scene, which we'll get to. Yes. So nineteen eighty six, Hal Needham classic. Rad. 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 <laughs> this was in the height of the BMX fad. Was yep. it a fad? I think it was craze. I'd say it's a craze. Because a fad means it's gone. It's still here, but nowhere near as popular. The kids still ride BMXs? Someone does. This is in the Olympics, so somebody okay. does. All right. All right. So Rad, it's 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 about a BMX rider called Crew Jones, which is the greatest name in cinema history. Yep. Who is a small town, a small town He's boy. He's a small town. No. Living in a small town. It starts off with him delivering papers on his BMX. And you're seeing how good he is on his BMX because he's, he's doing little tricks and he's got his little set routine where you've got dogs waiting for him to hand the newspaper off to the dog in the morning. And then it finishes with him, you know, to a screech in front of the local town clock and he just missed it by 
Yeah, he's he's trying to beat beat his personal best. Beat a personal delivery. best. We don't know what it is, but yep. some old lady's like nearly made it this time. It's like well done, crew. Yep. Yeah. So so we've established Crew Jones. He can ride a bike. That's pretty and much, and he can do it, it well. Yeah. And then we find out that this little small town USA is going to be the home of Hell Track. Seven Eleven presents Hell Track. Every fucking corporation <laughs> in America presents Hell Track. Yeah. So Hell Track is a major BMX tournament race. Yeah. Going to be held in this small town for whatever reason. And they have a town meeting about this. A little like saying, oh, it's going to bring people. It's going to bring money. It's going to bring this. But someone gets up. Why don't somebody think of the children? Or the local children anyway. They should be allowed to ride in Helltrack as well. Yes. So the we don't know that he's evil yet. But you can sort of tell that the guy who runs or owns Helltrack or whatever, who's the owner of Mongo Cycles, is that? I think he was a representative from Mongo. Rep- so I don't yeah. think he owned Mongo. Well, he seemed to have a lot of clout anyway. Yeah. So, um... So he goes, oh, yes, yes, we can have a tryouts and if any qualifiers come through, I will put up $10,000 of my own money and they'll get a prize and can... And they can, and they can go into the race. Go into the race. Much. So, all well and good. So I was like, oh, my God, quick, Crew Jones, did you hear about this? And I was like, oh, but the mum, who was Adrian from Rocky... What's Talia Shire? Is that her name? I just Adrian from Rocky. What else she done besides rain? I'm not going to know. Crickets. <laughs> yeah, so, but she's like, no, you've got to study for your SATs. So I think they went to the same school as military dad from Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I think so. Don't, she doesn't Speaking want to have fun. That, what happened to his dad? Where was Crew Jones Sr. in this movie? Did They didn't mention it, yeah. It's like... She's just a single mum. Single mum with a douchey daughter. And doing Crew a lot Jones of ironing. Son. Every scene that she was in almost, she was ironing. Really? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Go and watch it again. All right. It's like a Batman movies. All Michael Keaton does is have soup. <laughs> Anyways, anyway. <laughs> so so they get ready to do this. They do the tryout. And, and it's like the circus has come to town. All these representative BMXs have come to town. There's a parade for them. And the world's best, or America's best, I'm not sure. Could be the same thing. BMX racer turns up, who's... I was going to say Stu Hart, but that's not him. No, he was an Olympic gymnast, wasn't he? Stu Hart. No, no not Stu Hart. What's his name? Barry something? Barry Ween, boy genius. I don't know. Talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> All right, Bart Taylor, the Olympic Taylor. gymnast. Was he? Yeah, he is. Oh, okay. It's so, on the wiki. Fair so enough. <laughs> he actually plays the big baddie... Bart Mon- Taylor. Mongoose. Bart Connor, the actor. Yes. Bart Taylor, the character. Yes. He yeah. plays the mongoose rider that everyone's touting to And he win. looks like your 80s antagonist. He looks like the guy from Karate Kid. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. He looks like the Karate Kid dude. The bad guy from Karate Kid. Not Oh, and Hatcher. Not Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So he's... He's there and he's got his twin friends who are the BMX riders as well who, yep. are, who wear matching clothes and look like something out of another Hell Needham film. <laughs> but Megaforce, go back. So he's got his twin friends and they're all there and they're just dissing this small town going, oh, look at all these ugly trogs and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> So you know they're evil too. Yep. You get a few comical set pieces they go through and then they have its time for, for, for the race, for the trial. And Crew Jones is in there and he doesn't win every race. He's got to get three, doesn't he? He does. Don't we want to jump back to the fact that there's the school dance to introduce the cyclist? Yet? Is it? No, that's, no, it's not yet. before the no, race. No, it's not after the race because they didn't see each other before then. She recognised him after the race. Oh, okay. Why am I speaking like that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she met him before the race. And did they go ask sliding? <laughs> all right, all right, well, all right, we'll, all right, we'll go. We'll do the dance. All right, we'll the I'm dance. sure they do the dance first. All right. So, anyway, so the the professionals rock up. Yep. And the town throws this big dance to celebrate, which, which ironically is, is at the high school. Yeah. With with an orator. Yeah. Or an announcer, more to the point. Yeah. 
yeah, saying everything that's happening on the dance floor because <laughs> that's what you want from a DJ or whoever it is. So there's a dance going on now. You get your ass hat, which is Bart Taylor. He's up there dancing with a girl, and they've got this beautifully choreographed routine going on. Yep. It's like, this is what they do when they're not racing bikes, is work out dance routines, obviously. And then the twins join in, and they've got a girl as well. And they've got a great three-person dance routine worked out. And everyone's admiring their dancing. It's fantastic. But then Laurie Lachlan's there as well, and she's a professional writer representing another BMX company who's come to town. But she sees Crew Jones turns up in his nice dress tracksuit pants <laughs> and a shirt tucked into this dance. But he hasn't gone in the dance. He's not really wanting to do that because he loves his bike too much. So he's just doing tricks and stuff out the front. And then Laurie Lockton sees this and respects his dancing ability, I guess it is. Or his, 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 his bike jumping ability. Yeah. So she walks off, off screen. Next thing you know, she comes back looking very masculine and jumps over his bike on her bike. Because well, when I say look masculine, there's a very bad body double, stunt double <laughs> in a wig. Yes. <laughs> like doing her... And she's her, wearing a very nice pantsuit so they can get away with the fact that... They don't get away with it. <laughs> but anyway, so she's like pulls up to a screeching break and looks at him and goes, come on inside. So they both ride into the middle of the dance floor. And this is when the narrator or announcer goes, oh my God, it's Crew Jones and whatever Laurie Lockon character is. They're on their bikes. And the next thing you know, the greatest single moment of cinema history happened, which is what you would have seen on YouTube. Many times, mainly <laughs> because you've showed it to me many times. So we have the dance montage of BMX tricks in the dance floor in slow motion set to real life send me an angel perfect exactly it's absolutely perfect yes this is as Banff have put it this is what YouTube was invented for was this one clip so they, they do a bit of a little bit of a dance and there's a bit of a spark between Laurie Lachlan and Crew Jones yeah because she said follow follow my lead and he did so they've obviously got some sort of synergy with their BMX dance ability yeah <laughs> so from that they obviously instantly become friends so he introduces her to what you do for fun in this small town ass sliding ass sliding <laughs> yes so uh, do you want to explain what ass sliding is well there's how do I put this there's a water slide no 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 it's a drain <laughs> okay there is a, a storm drain overflow that runs into the river yep and they slide down on their ass in their clothes <laughs> fully Hint. dressed yep in the middle go, of Canadian winter what are we doing it's like this is what we do here it's called ass sliding <laughs> so they go ass sliding into the river in the next scene they're dry remarkably even though they just got soaking wet and a, a friendship happens between them yes and then they go to hell track and then they get, well, trials. Trials. Trials, not hell track. This is just the trials. And it's best of three or whatever. Yeah, it was... Qualifiers. Qualifiers. And the, the first number of people, I think, go through into the next heat and then they slowly wean them down. And you're so, watching crew race. And he's, he's obviously capable, but the people he's up against, you know, Bart Taylor's in there and the twins. So they're, they're winning their races. And he's in there and he's trying. He's getting seconds and thirds and stuff. But... Did you notice something? That they should have put that fence in front of the river because two people fell in the river? <laughs> well, there was a lot of crashes. <laughs> but you know, there, was, there was a track laid out with flags and everything, yeah? Yeah, there was. Did, did Crew really adhere to that track? He was creative with his cornering. Yeah. That's all. Yes. Crew Jones cheated to get to Hell Track. God damn you, Crew. But anyway, he, he made it. I thought he cheated, but maybe, like you said, creative use of corners. I don't know. Local knowledge, we may just call it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Crew gets in. 
He, he passes his heat. Everyone's happy. And the town is excited. Yeah. Local boy done good. But Mr. Mongoose representative owner guy, we yeah. thought he was a bit dodgy and he proved that he was because he fucked him over. Yeah. They turn up the next day all excited say, oh, so who's your team that you're racing for? It's like, oh, we don't have a team. It's like, well, you need no, a team. you can't get in if you haven't got a sponsor. So I was like, oh, fuck that. Yeah. So there, he's... Crew's all shitty again. His mum's on his ass saying he's got to study for his SATs. Just a terrible day in this yep. small town. But his sister comes up with a really ugly t-shirt design and someone goes, I'd wear one of those because it's got crew on it and it's like red racing with crew drones. And someone goes, oh, where'd you get the shirt? I'll buy one. It's like, hey, why don't we just make our own company? So they do and they, they get a create their own racing group. Of, and, and, and all well and good. And they're getting their money together and it looks like they're going to make it. And then Ass Hat turns up again and goes, oh, you need to have at least $50,000. And they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so, uh, so his crew drone feels down again. Yeah. <laughs> No, no ass sliding is going to make him feel happy on this one. He's, he's just feeling like shit. But the town get together, and before crowdfunding, before Kickstarter, the town put together a sponsorship for him. Yep. And get the money together. Yes. Including Ray Walton. Walston. Walston. From, from My, my Favourite Martian. Martian. Yes. yes. He kicks in the last little bit and buys himself a lot of t-shirts so they've got enough money to get in. And Crew Jones can enter Helltrack. And did you think it was weird? Like, obviously, you've watched this movie a lot. Mm. I thought the qualifier for Helltrack looked harder than Helltrack itself. Yeah, Helltrack. When I first watched Helltrack, it looked amazing. I thought that was the most amazing track ever. But now, not so much. But we wouldn't have Crossy Demons of Dirt if we didn't have this. No. I swear. Probably. I have no idea. I don't know. I've never seen Krusty Demons have like a cereal bowl as part of like the, the stuff they have to roll over. Well, they've got Mother sponsoring them now. Exactly. Whatever, so they don't need cereal bowls. And the amount of product placement in this movie. All the product placements. <laughs> Yes. Like every BMX company was in there, plus Seven Eleven, plus anyone else. The cereal, was it USA Today? Everything yeah. was in there. Coke is fine; it pays for itself. Exactly. You need you need a sponsor to make a you BMX do. team, and you need a sponsor for a movie. Correct. But anyway, it all boils down to the big race at Helltrack. All of the town behind Crew Jones, and then we get to see Bart's true colours, where he kind of sells out his own teammates to try and go head to head with Crew. This where it doesn't make sense. Now, it's neck and neck, and Bart Taylor's leading most of the way. It gets to a point where he sells out his mates who are twins, yep. and they essentially tries to take out Crew by using them to knock them out. So, in a sense, knocking the twins out. Crew survives, and it gets to a point where he stops and waits for Crew to catch up, and they race to the end, and he gets beaten. Yeah. So, technically, Bart, no problem, would have won the race. Exactly. But put himself in a situation, did the honourable thing, say, let's do this mano a mano, and lost honourably. Weird! Doesn't make any sense at all. He comes across an ass like his twin mates all, they hate him at the end of it. Everyone loves Crew Jones because, well, fuck, he won. But it just didn't make sense. And then the Mongoose team sack him or something. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not riding for anyone next year. And they go, you can join our red racing team. (laughs) End of movie. End of movie. (laughs) John Farnham song plays over the top. Yeah. Originally, I thought, okay, John Farnham in this movie. It's, do you think they tried to use John Farnham to break him into the American scene? Well, or do you think they couldn't afford to get decent music, so they just got John Farnham? I've no idea. Well, there's a, at least at least four songs in this movie with John Farnham singing them, and there's yep. ballads, there's you know, like montage sort of, except Semi and Angel. Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is it was probably around the Little River Band days. 
So he was trying to break it into America. Now, I reckon his Clem Wheatley would have been his producer back. Why do I know so much about John Farmer? So I reckon he was probably pushing into America and this was a way to get in. Yeah. Because it was, uh, would have been a bit before Working Class Man with Jimmy Barnes doing the song for Working Class Man. So I don't know. Maybe this was a way for them to try and break it into the American market. But obviously it didn't really work for Johnny, but it worked for me. Interesting film. Now, there's a reason we did this. Mainly for two reasons. Firstly, is the ongoing Tosh.0 jokes. Yes. We've mentioned before that we're big fans of Daniel Tosh and Tosh.0. And for two weeks running, he did quite big, rad references in his episodes. Yeah, there was one where he, with the ass sliding scene, they actually superimposed Tosh's head onto Laurie Lachlan and he was ass sliding with, with Crew Jones. Yep. And then the following week, he was actually bringing up the references to him cheating and saying how he wasn't worthy to be in Hell Track. And the real the, Crew Jones was in the audience. <laughs> and yelled out, too, too far, far, Daniel. <laughs> and stormed out of the studio. And we were like, oh, we've got to watch Rad again. <laughs> yeah. And it just so happens that the director of Rad, Hal Needham, did recently pass away. Mm-hmm. I think it was before we watched it. Just before. Just before. And yeah. we were talking about how Hal Needham had a great catalogue of movies. He was quite a famous Hollywood stuntman. He was the director of Smokey and the Bandit purely for the fact that he had previously been Burt Reynolds' stunt double in a few movies, and he came up with the idea of Smokey and the Bandit together with Burt Reynolds, and Burt Reynolds was like, you have to direct this movie. So he has a real pedigree for 80s action movies, and you mentioned before he was in the director of Megaforce. Yes. He... Well, he started his first movie as a director. He's acted and he's stuntman, but he yep. started Smokey and the Bandit, yep. which is, I love that movie. Like, yeah. These are my formative years I watched these movies. Um, then he made Smokey the Bandit 2, which is one of my favourite scenes in cinema history. And the fact that he also directed the semi angel dance, BMX dance routine, he, he's written two of my favourite scenes in cinema history. Then he did Megaforce, which I have a fond memory of because it's the first VHS I ever watched. And I've discussed this on another podcast before, that a lot of people have their Batmans, their Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> their this. I have my Barry Boswick. <laughs> and Barry Boswick, a lot of people know from Spin City or... Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Picture Show. Show. I like him in Megaforce. That's where he's wearing a gold lycra jumpsuit with a Barry Gibb hairdo and beard and headband. Not a 17 headband. (laughs) Nearly perfect. (laughs) So, Hal Needham's very important to me. Then he did Cannibal Run 2, which is another film that I liked. Just jumping back there for a second. And Cannibal Run. Cannibal Run, yes. There was a reference to Seventeen magazine and Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which I laughed at, but then they actually meant (laughs) Seventeen the Teen magazine, not not, the Swedish version. (laughs) So Cannibal Run, again, films that I absolutely grew up loving. Yep. Body Slam. I know. With... Dirt Benedict. And Rodney Piper. Yes. It's like this. He is my childhood. Yes. Which is scary. But yes, he, he directed Rad. He did a very good job of directing it. There was just so many things to like about Rad. And not much after that. No. No. So Which is a bit of a shame. It was kind of like but I think we have his to declining tr- years. We have to track down a movie from 1996 that he directed called Street Luge. <laughs> I don't think I've seen enough luge-based films. Especially street luge. (laughs) The extreme luge. So, to answer the question, does Rad still hold up? Oh, hell yeah, it still holds (laughs) up. I I definitely recommend this movie. Yes. Not shifting tones a bit, but maturing a little. So, chronologically, we're moving, jumping forward a full four years to 1990. A whole new decade. A whole new sensibility, a whole new mindset of me as a viewer and as Hollywood is making film. Yep. A little bit more mature, a little bit older. So let, let's cast a bit of a picture for 1990. You would have been in year 11? Yes. 
Yes, I would have been my first year out of high school, earning a living out in the real, real world, moving out of home and watching movies like Pump Up the Volume. So yes, Christian Slater at the start of his popularity. It was a couple of years after Heather's. Yeah, yeah I mean, he was known there, but this was, Heather's was good, but this... This was his starring movie. Yeah, this took him to the next level and was some Much higher watch. than The Wizard. Great movie, though. <laughs> Two months in a row, we get a Wizard reference in. <laughs> So yes, so premise of Pump Up the Volume is Christian Slade is a bit of a loner, but his alter ego is a pirate radio host. In the world before podcasts, where people didn't have a voice, he was, what was it, Happy Harry Hardon? Happy Harry Hardon, Happy Harry Hardon yeah. And he would the original get, Triple H. Yes. He would get online, on the air, 10 o'clock every night, and broadcast sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for 5 Four hours. Minutes. And he would just play music that he liked and talk about what he wanted to talk about. And simulate masturbation. A lot. Mm. And talk about sexual references like the bigger than a baby's arm reference and stuff like that. And what got me, I think, when I was younger about Pump Up the Volume was the fact that there was music in it that I hadn't heard before. There was bands in it that I hadn't heard of and it, it kind of opened my eyes to a few things. But then going back and watching it now, other than when he's being his radio host, no one in this movie is likable. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely of its time. Like, it's a 1990 film. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess looking at the time, when I was 17, I watched this movie and it blew me away. I was like, yeah, this guy, he's speaking for me. Yeah. He's speaking for my generation. This is the m most important film ever. Why won't parents listen? This is this is it. And it's... So he is representing... He is a school high school kid. Yep. And he's being picked up. People have discovered him. And they're listening to this broadcast radio of him talking shit and being not anti-establishment, but it's just sort of like, have a voice. Don't be a product. Don't be, you know, mindless slaves. Think for yourself. Talk hard. Yeah. And other catchphrases. So as that young age, impressionable age, I'm listening to this guy going, yes, you understand me. Why does no one else? You, you're the one. This is great. So I love this movie and watch this movie repeatedly and have not watched it for a good 15 years. Yep. So watching it again now, all the kids bar him are dicks. And this is me being 20 years older now going, just listen to your parents. Just just talk to your parents. You know, they're not, they're not villains. <laughs> you know, I'm not even a parent yet, but I still know that it's like, no, 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 it's fine. Just don't be a dick. <laughs> exactly. Yet he's encouraging them to be dicks. And it's like, the, the sentiment is correct, but the way they're acting and the way they're speaking just come across as dick moves and I, I just don't agree now whether that's that's what a 17 year old would do now probably because I'm getting old now and I think they're all dicks <laughs> unless your 17 year old listens you're great you're different because you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're embracing the, the attitude of the alternativeness move yeah. by downloading a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's a strange movie in that way that his his, his cult grows bigger the, the listenership grows bigger he becomes a, a meme before memes were like things and there were tape trading going on people recording the night from before and they're selling them at school for other people to listen to and it's getting bigger and someone's discovered that it's a, the best place to listen to them to this radio because it's like it's broadcast radio you know yeah. it's not like a proper tower so they found they're parking in the middle of the football field is the best place to listen to it so that's growing as the nights go on and on there's more people listening to his words of wisdom and then it also gets to a point where he's got a post office box and he, he opens up for people to write to him and talk to him. So yep. he, if they leave a name and number, he'll ring them. And he puts his voice through a modulator so people don't know who he is. 
It's all very high tech. Yeah. So and and he you know he picks on people that you know depending on what they've got to say he'll ring them and he'll talk to them and then so one of the letters he gets is of a guy that's thinking about killing himself and he basically rings him up on the air and sort of says kind of calls him a bit of a pussy for wanting to kill himself and it goes a bit too far and he ends up actually killing himself. This is where it becomes dangerous. Yeah. So the school gets involved, the police get involved, and it's all about the who do they call them? The FCC? FCC. 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 Yeah, so it's... And this is where the movie excels, is when he's talking to this kid trying to kill himself. He's, he's not telling him not to do it, but he's not telling him to do it. He's still no. saying, why you do this? It's a weak thing to do. It's this, and you, you shit your shorts. Yeah, exactly. You know? Someone's got to find you. and it, They're great speeches, and he delivers them beautifully. And they're yeah, fantastic. but it, I guess the, the effect that he's he's saying that, you know, you're weak for killing yourself doesn't really come across. It doesn't work. And that's a yeah. part of the movie is the plaque that, yes, he ends up killing himself in the end. And it was sort of like, oh, he told him to do it. No, he didn't. That's not what he was saying. Yeah. And it, and it brings all the heat on him and everything like that. And people want to listen. He's freaking out. It's like, it's, even yeah, for he, him, it's he's, not too far. He's doubting himself like, you know, if, if I hadn't been who I am, maybe he would still be alive and I shouldn't have done what I did sort of thing. But yep. then he basically realises that he would have done it anyway, regardless of what he did. Yeah, and there's he's getting letters from people, and they yep. want to support. You know, he wants support, and, and a, he comes back, and everyone's happy. Yeah, and the sort of subplot that's also happening along here is Samantha Mathis, who you think is hot, but I didn't think much of. She's hot. Even back in the nineties, I didn't think she was that hot. She's hot. Anyway, she is hot. trying to find out who is Happy Harry Hard on, and puts a couple of loose ends together and then hangs out outside the post office box and finds out that it's Christian Mick Slater. Mild Christian Slater. What was his character's name? Mark Doesn't Hunter? Matter. Sounds good. Yeah, it's in your dragon. Like yeah. yeah, that'd be right. So, so anyway, he finds out, she finds out that Christian Slater is HHH. HHH. And then she confronts him at school based on a few little clues that he gives out about his blackjack gum and eating his lunch alone in the stairwell and stuff like that. And, Initially, he's not overly happy that he's been found out, mm. but then they kind of make a big deal about it, and now they're all happy. And then it leads into finding out that the school are kind of kicking out the dumb students and they're still taking the funding. Yeah, they're kind of doing a bit of a dodgy, and they're getting rid of the, all the bad apples, but they're still getting the government funding for teaching the bad apples. But their grade school goes up. There, like they, yeah, their grade point average goes up, but they're weeding out the dead wood. Mm. So it's all they have a right to an education. Yeah, it's it's it all comes up to a crescendo at the end. And if you haven't seen this film, it's probably something you should. Well, if you're of our sort of age and you didn't see it, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it was a really big film for our age group, wasn't it? Yeah, but the thing, I still think it's good. The yep. only problem is, I'm now forty. Those kids are probably twenty five year old actors acting seventeen. Yep, and I don't like them <laughs> because it's just they're kids and I, I just can't I've got 20 years experience on them and they're acting like douches yeah but they I, were, I guess I suppose they were talking clever like it was almost like it was written by adults given to child actors and they're act- something something just didn't gel with me this time yeah I, I think back in the days when you were a 17 year old douche you would relate to the 17 exactly. year old douches and now they're just douches to me yep. so I don't know but apart from that that everything with Christian Slater in is fantastic. Samantha Massa gets her boobs out, so we're, we're back on theme. 
And she wears a horrible sweater for a little while, but there then is she a takes terrible it off. sweater. Yeah. The fashion in this movie is bad. It's, like, I, it's funny because you do 80s movies or 80s theme parties and you go, oh, the fashion, and you think about it. And then you think that. And I always thought, what would 90s be if you. This well, movie is 1990. You kind of still think of as being part of the. This, 80s. It's fucking ugly. I know. A lot of it's fucking. But it looks exactly <laughs> like now. I go down the street now. It looks exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah, so needless to say, I'm not going to ruin the ending because it is a movie that is worth checking out. Yeah. But. It's something I found, and I don't know if you noticed this too, but after watching pretty much all these movies, and I caught a bit of Karate Kid on telly the other day, the original with Ralph Macchio, 80s films, all the main characters are assholes. Yep. They're actually not likable. No. They're, they're moody, whingy cunts. <laughs> exactly. Self-entitled cunts, right? Yeah, like Crew Jones. This was just weird. I just want to ride my bike, man. Fuck you. Sixteen <laughs> candles. You oh, you forgot my birthday. I haven't got laid. I have a good boyfriend the whole fucking time. Girls just want to have fun. I just want to dance. Don't want to let me. <laughs> And Papa the way everyone's just whingy bitches. It's like, no wonder we're cunts now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Generation X has a lot to answer for. <laughs> it's just like, you don't, they're not likeable. <laughs> no. What what was likeable, though, about to Pump Up the Volume was definitely the soundtrack. Oh, fuck you. Like, I would never have known about the Pixies if it wasn't for Pump Up the Volume. That was the band that really came to the fore mm. based on this movie. For I me. wouldn't have known about Leonard Cohen. Yep. Concrete Blonde. Concrete Blonde, exactly. <laughs> It is a West West it was. Hey, Dad, I'm in jail. Yeah, there's some really good music. And I think there was a stage where nearly everyone I knew had the Pub Up the Volume soundtrack CD in their collection. That's a damn good one. Yeah. So it does have redeeming features. Oh, it's still good. It's just it doesn't resonate or talk to me like it did because I'm not a 17-year-old kid anymore. As (laughs) much as I try and fight it, you know, I do shake my fist and say, get off my lawn now. It's just like, (laughs) God damn it, I don't want to grow up. Like that Lush song, I don't want to grow up. <laughs> you play that at the end. <laughs> I'll have to dig it up. I don't know the one you're on about. All right. <laughs> the most rambling podcast ever. <laughs> yes. Now that we've had our incoherent 40-year-old ramblings. Expect worse. Yes. I'm going to hate kids more now that I'm old. Fuck it. <laughs> All right. Well... We've talked enough about movies that Mitch liked when he was younger. So I think it's probably a good and time to... And one we hadn't seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's probably a good time for us to wrap up this podcast this month. And I'll say, as usual, you know where, where to find us. We did have some really good comments on our Facebook page earlier in the week when we mentioned that we were going to be watching 80s movies. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk about the video from UHF. So I think I'll be uh, digging that up and watching that in the very near future. And yes, also things that we're doing in the future. Next month will be our third year of podcasting. Or is it a fourth year, as you call it? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be our... <laughs> It'll be our anniversary episode next month, so... Anniversary? Just Christmas. Our end of year episode. We didn't start at Christmas, did we? Yeah, we did. Oh, first well, one we did was December. Excellent. Anniversary. Awesome. So it'll be our anniversary episode next month, and we're actually going to trial something that I think Mitch stole from another podcast. But Probably. I stole everything. We're going to be doing our top fives for the year, but we're going to be doing it a slightly different twist. We're not going to be doing top fives of anything in particular. We're just going to be doing our top five things for the year. So it will be cross media. Yeah. So if, if you we started the feedback, use our Facebook, tell us your top fives, because I'm might steal them too and just like, <laughs> if I, I can't think of anything I'll just steal yours yes so, please so is IMDB on the iPad going to be one of your top five things for the year I think so <laughs> it gets a bit of a run alright well thank you for listening thank you for downloading you know where you can find us we are the Massive Attack Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher we are facebook.com the Massive Attack Podcast the MA Podcast dot podbean.com and 
anywhere out there, just search for the message. Doing all that podcast. without reading anything. Pretty impressive. We've been doing this a while now. This yeah, is episode I have 25. I no fucking idea. Uh, no. I just Google. Exactly. Google Massive Attack. No, don't Google Massive Attack. Google Massive, Massive Attack, Attack podcast, podcast and we will come up. Yes. Google Massive Attack if you like. <laughs> they haven't been relevant for a little while. Alrighty. Correct. So we're going to chuck a couple of little pump up the volume spoilers on the end here. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, turn off before the music ends. Mm -hmm. If you do want to hear the spoilers, hang around for about 30 seconds and we'll be back. Thanks for listening. like talk hard the truth is a virus and all that essentially at the end of the film he gets arrested the yep. FCC the FCC shut him down catch, catch up with him arrest him he goes off while it's a big car chase it's quite exciting and everyone's following and they see him get arrested and they're all out there cheering for him and all this sort of stuff and he does that sort of salute to the crowd and they all cheer him and everything's great and he's like talk hard and then it fades to black and then the music starts the credits roll music plays and then you hear voices people broadcasting saying hi I'm on the radio I'm a voice of this and then you hear another voice and another voice and people are broadcasting people are getting out there in 1990 that was awesome something in everyone's got a voice everyone's having a go he started something everyone's talking everyone's right now I look at it it's like he's just made noise he was a single voice with something to say now there's too many voices and guess what it's podcasting. <laughs> it is podcasting. We're, we're part of the problem. <laughs> we are part of, we're part of that fucking noise. And that's what I realized watching that at the end. I know what it's meant to be in 1990. It was sort of like, yes, everyone's got an opportunity and a chance to say something. 20 years later, we see what's happened when everyone has a chance. And you get shitty podcasts like, yeah, I'll say. <laughs> I don't know. With all <laughs> I've been listening to some stuff on Stitcher that it recommended to me. And it makes our podcast look damn professional. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. And maybe the reason why we're podcasting is because 20 years ago we watched Papa the Volume. I don't know. You're spreading yourself much thinner in this podcast business than I am. Yeah. Host of three separate podcasts. But Not host. Just part of. But yes. But it's yes. just funny that it's sort of like, wow. It's sort of like, that's what happened. But yeah, the, the, the conceit of the movie at the end is what go out there and do it and say it. And the reality, 20 years later, you can look back and say, it doesn't work. Mm. There are so many voices out there now that there is no message anymore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, so the message is no message <laughs> read a book <laughs> I don't know anyway sorry I wanted to add that at the end there alright <laughs> see you next month Thanks. everybody